Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information that you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Nitika Chopra, who is a lifestyle, beauty, and self-love expert, a speaker, coach, and host, survivor of chronic illness, and the founder of Chronicon, which you guys may have been hearing a lot of buzz about. So Nitika, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's such a pleasure having you on. So I really like to start from the beginning of your story. And if you could tell us when and how you first realized that you had something going on health-wise. Sure. Yeah. I was 10 years old and I had developed like some itchiness in my scalp. And then I had had like one small spot on my left arm and I was just like, what is this? Like, it felt like, you know, there was something different going on. And so I asked my mom and my parents had both had eczema, but they had had it like really mildly, like they could put a little cream on and it would go away. It wasn't like a big part of their lives. So they kind of thought that that's what it was going to be. And I just remember going to the dermatologist and They were like, I don't think it's eczema. Like, I think this might be something else. And they mentioned psoriasis and I had to get like a biopsy. And for some reason, I'll just like never forget that I was 10. And it was just like, I remember being in what felt like cold, you know, a cold room. It was dark. It was just like sterile and it just felt really bad. And super invasive Um, too, I imagine, because biopsies are no joke, especially when you're- Yeah, I know. It was no joke. And it's not like I had any like emotional preparation for it or anything like that. And um, yeah. And then I remember my uncle, who's a doctor, he, he has psoriasis and he was like, I really hope it's not psoriasis because her whole life will be like not okay, basically, if she gets it, you know? And I just remember hearing that and being like, what the hell? (laughs) Like, this is crazy. Like, my whole life is going to be ruined. What do you even mean, you know? And he was just nervous for me. Like, he was, you know, not trying to be a jerk or anything. No, of course. It sounds like he was being caring. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He was just nervous. And then it came back as psoriasis and everybody freaked out, including myself. And 
Yeah. And then that, you know, I'm 38 now. So it's like almost 30 years later. Yeah. Um, and then I also was diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis when I was 19. So that, yeah. and that's when psoriasis goes from being no joke to being like a really, really big deal. <laughs> yeah. And you know, my psoriasis was always really bad. Like I never had a lot of people who have psoriasis typically have it maybe like on their joints, like it'll be on the outside of, you know, on their skin where their joints are, or their elbows or their knees, or they'll have it on their scalp. And, you know, that's really hard. Like I don't diminish that at all, but I had it from the tip of my foot to the tip of my head. Like I had, I, you can, it was covered, like 98% of my body was covered. And it was like that for about 17 years of my life, you know? So it was never an easy diagnosis. I don't think it ever is for anyone, but my particular case was, you know, they call it like, you know, severe, moderate, you know, whatever. It was severe. It was mm-hmm. severe from, I don't even remember how it got so bad, but it feels like I had one spot and then all of a sudden I had it everywhere. And especially know? having that from such a young age, that must have really influenced the way you saw your body and no, it's no wonder you ended up in the self-love space, mm-hmm. right? But it's, you've yeah. obviously been able to turn that into a triumph, but it could have been a minefield. Yeah. And it was a minefield. You know, that's a good way of putting it. Um, it definitely was, and it still can be, you know, and I, I find that now that my psoriasis is better um, and I'm not, you know, physically suffering with my psoriasis all the time, I'm struggling with like the fact that I get more swollen or I get more inflamed and my body weight changes a lot. And then I'm like really going through all of this conversation in my head of like, well, what does that mean? And how am I worthy? Even though, you know, my body is changing and it's the society tells us and even family tells you and and whoever, like, you're supposed to be a certain size. And I'm just like, well, I'm eating like no food because I'm on an autoimmune paleo diet and this is the way my body <laughs> like needs to be. So like, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm not going to be size two anytime soon. Um, and so that's been, you know, a huge part of my journey, even as, you know, people might look at me and say like, oh, she's got it all together or whatever, because I don't have psoriasis on every inch of my body. It's like, I still have physical struggles like that. Yeah. So you're still managing the symptoms particularly with the psoriatic arthritis, it sounds like, right? Yeah, with both the psoriasis and the psoriatic arthritis, I have to take medication, um, which is something I'm really passionate about talking about, actually, because when I, I was in the wellness industry, like I've been in the wellness industry for a long time, and I think, you know, 20 years ago when The Secret came out and all this stuff was happening, manifestation, Marianne Williamson, all the things, I really beat myself up with like toxic positivity. And I was just like every single day, every single second, I was beating myself up with self-help because a lot of those teachings tell you that there's something misaligned with your thought process. Like there's something out of integrity or out of alignment. And so if you just you know, think positively, you'll be healed. That's essentially what they're saying to you. Yeah. Which is so damaging and so incomplete and it is incredibly infuriating. And it's something that I am really passionate about talking about because I think there are a lot of young people out there or there are a lot of people who have been diagnosed with something for the first time and they read that and they feel such shame 
and such defeat that like, oh my God, I, I thought something so bad that I gave myself MS or that I gave myself cancer or that I have psoriasis all over my body. It's just not kind, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm really passionate about talking about, you know, when I was 25, I had been doing the self-help, you know, trying to heal myself with my thoughts thing for about five or six years at that point. And I kind of just had a moment, you know, where I was like, I'm literally like lying in bed. I am unable to move. My psoriasis, my psoriatic arthritis is so bad. My bones are starting to deform. Like maybe, and I, I like really couldn't move without severe pain. Like it would take me three hours to leave my apartment to be able to do anything. I couldn't walk down the stairs. It was hard for me to get dressed. Like it was really bad. And I was sitting there like, okay, maybe these people have a point, but like, this isn't working, you know? And I, I, this is ridiculous that I'm like sitting here putting this much pressure on myself and I'm a very spiritual person. And I kind of was like, maybe God also made medicine for a reason. Like who knows, Mm -hmm. but let me try. So at this point you weren't medicating yourself. You weren't sort of taking doctor's prescriptions. I had been on a medication when I was 19 and actually that triggered the psoriatic arthritis coming out. Mm -hmm. And so, so no wonder you had like a a concern about any kind of medication then like, how could you trust it? Exactly. I thought, and then you find this whole world where they're telling you, you don't need medication basically. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like maybe I did it wrong because I tried this medication and it made me, essentially it made me worse for a, a period of time, you know? And so it was really confusing. And I was like 19, 20 years old. My parents were living in Hong Kong at the time I was in New York. Like it was just so much going on. And I really didn't understand. And then when I was 25, I had this moment where I I used to take voice lessons every week. It was like singing has always been like a huge part of my passion. And Mm -hmm. I took a voice lesson with my teacher. She always had such great things to say about like my voice and that I should audition for things. And I was like, you're crazy. Like I can barely get to this lesson. Like how am I supposed to audition for things? So one day she called me and she was like, listen, I know you're not feeling well. I know you're having a hard time, but there is an audition and you have been practicing the song that you need to sing. And she was just like, she really believed in me, you know? And she was just like, you need to get up and go to the audition. And I hung up the phone with her and I remember it was like 11 a.m., in the morning and it was a weekday and it was like the auditions were open until like 1 p.m. or something. And I thought to myself, even if I wanted to go, there's no freaking way I would be able to get there. Yeah. You know, and that really was like a defining moment for me because I was 25. I had gotten married and gotten divorced. It's like a whole other podcast. And I'm like, you know, and I was like, I am not living my life. Like this is not living, you know? Yeah. So I ended up calling my parents in Hong Kong and was just like, I know we tried medication before, but I think I have to try harder. I have to try to find the right medication for my body. I have to do more research. I had kind of just Mm. Taken whatever my parents and the doctors had told me, you know, I was supposed to take because I was still pretty young, you know. So that kind of, I mean, taking that medication changed my life. I was literally skipping down the street within two weeks. Mm. 
Um, wow. It, okay. It was life changing. So anyway, and it was a different one from what you were on that triggered the arthritis. It was a completely different one. It's actually one that I'm on today, and you know, it's 13 years later, and I've had ups and downs with it. It hasn't been perfect, but it has ha- it has given me my life back. It actually has just yeah. given me my life. Like I didn't even have the life that I have now anywhere close to what I have now. And the other part that I think is really important is I don't think everybody needs to take medication. I think if you can, you know, go through a process and heal your gut and work with an integrative doctor and do acupuncture and take herbs and do whatever you can and that really makes you feel better, great. But there's a large part of the population, and, and I was included in this, that my body was going through so much trauma. I, I was taking herbs. I was doing acupuncture. I was trying to eat better, and none of it made a difference. The amount of inflammation that was in my body, the amount of toxicity happening in my system, no amount of green juice was going to like do that. You know? <laughs> so I, I needed the medication, and now... I, I was on two. I was on another medication with this one for a while, and I actually got off of that second one last December, which I'm so proud of. Mm. But it took time. It took like months of me working with my acupuncture. It took, you know, renegotiating my diet with my my integrative doctor. It took more tests and different supplements, and sometimes I was doing really well, and then I wasn't again, and then I had to re, you yeah. know. So I, it's a really steep learning curve yeah. when you're changing your body. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you mentioned that you, you also, um, spoke to your parents, um, when you were in your mid twenties, when you were going through these sort of crises of faith in the medical industry and in yourself. Um, and it sounds like they were working sort of as your advocates, but did you find aside from them that you had to rely on anyone else as an advocate and has it changed those relationships at all? I mean, it's interesting. I wouldn't, I don't know if I would say that they were my advocates because they were learning so much at the same time. And, you know, this was, I mean, this was like before Google and like before everything was at our fingertips, right? So they were desperate, really. And, and, And I don't blame them. You know, they were just like, what the hell is going on with our daughter and how do we help her, you know? So I wouldn't necessarily call them advocates because I feel like they didn't know what they were doing either. You know, like they were just Mm -hmm. kind of scrambling and calling people and flying me around the world and trying to have me see healers and go places and all of that. But sounds like they were more of a sounding board for you. Yeah, they were sounding board. I I always say my mom was my nurse, you know, my whole Mm -hmm. life. I mean, I feel for her that she had to have that role, but it's true, you know, um, she was like, I would wake up in high school, especially almost every morning and my sheets would be so bloody because I would scratch myself so hard in the middle of the night from itching so badly. And there are things like that that people don't understand about skin conditions, especially when like psoriasis, um, you know, it flakes aggressively, it can bleed, it itches like chicken pox. And so it's really, it's really, um, it can be really traumatizing you know? Yeah. And so I would say my parents were more like nurse practitioners, especially my mom. My dad kind of just was like, okay, like (laughs) whatever you guys say, you know? (laughs) Um, and then I would say, you know, I've, I've definitely had to become my own patient advocate. And I did when I was married, my, my former husband was 
very supportive and, you know, really um, part of how we started dating was because my parents were not living here in this country. And I was like, I need someone to help me. I don't know what I'm doing, you know? And so he was a great sounding board and he was someone who definitely made me feel like I could trust myself. I think he was like mm. one of the first people in my life, even more than my parents, because they were just trying to protect me, you know? Yeah. Um, he was one of the first people that, that let me know that what I was feeling in my gut and my intuition and, and where I was kind of thinking I needed to go and things like that, that it was actually something I needed to listen to. And so he really mm. encouraged that for me. That's really lovely. So it sounds like even though you're divorced yeah. now, yes. <laughs> things were, were good at points. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it's so important that you've become your own advocate because this has also turned into advocacy on a larger scale for you um, in so many ways, but probably most notably with Chronicon coming up. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been, you know, creating content and doing stuff in TV and writing and blogging and, you know, social media and podcasting and all that stuff for like 10 years now. You, yeah, you have a wonderful podcast oh, called The Point of thank Pain. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's such a labor of love, these podcasts. I'm sure you, you can they are. agree. Yeah. I don't know. They have like such yes. a soft place in my heart. I just feel like they're so yeah. special. Um, but yeah, so I, I um, you know, have been doing that for like 10 years now. But for some reason my health journey was like never what I wanted to lead with. I always, mm. you know, I worked and I think a lot of people who have stuff going on with their body can relate to this. Like I spent a lot of time, especially because I got sick at such a young age, thinking that I was just a sick person. Like that was my entire identity. And so even if you didn't see my psoriasis, you knew I was sick just by meeting me because that was what I knew about myself. And yeah. it was very real to me. Everything I ate. Of course it was real. Yeah, like that. yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Let's not deny its existence. Yeah. It was definitely It was real. <laughs> very real for me. And it was like, you know, everything I ate, every piece of clothing I wore, every person I hung out with, every move I made was like, oh, because I'm sick, X, Y, Z, you know, right. whatever. So when I got healthier and I was able to function in a way that wasn't dictated fully by my chronic conditions, I started to be like, who am I without my illness? And like, how do I mm. love myself without getting the attention only from negative things? And how do I, right. you know like really embrace like, what's my favorite color? What songs do I like to sing? Who do I like to hang out with? All these basic things that I really hadn't thought about before, you know? Yeah. So then when I started creating all this content and doing all this stuff, but I, I was like, I'm not ashamed of it. That's not the experience I'm having. Absolutely not. I'm very proud of what I had overcome and been through, but I didn't want my life to be about that. I didn't want people to be like, oh, this poor you know, psoriasis girl or something. I don't know. So yeah. I really didn't want to talk about it for a really long time. It was like hidden on my about page and I would thread like a sentence in a blog every once in a while or whatever. But yeah. a few years ago, um, really in 2016, I was kind of going along, you know, I was on QVC that like, you know, December of 2015, I, I had been 
been on there for like a year. I was like, like loving life. Things were going great. I was getting all these brand deals. And then all of a sudden in 2016, a lot of it stopped. And it took me about two, almost two years to start to get empowered with what was happening. But for about two years, I was just like, what the flip is going on? I don't understand. You know, I thought God wanted me to do this great thing with my life where I was supposed to take my story and help people. I'm doing that in the best way that I can. I don't understand what's going on. Like, this is crazy. And I actually had to really give up on a lot of the dreams that I had had for myself because things were not clicking. And what I now know in hindsight, although if you would talk to me then, I would be like a miserable version of myself because I was so confused. <laughs> I was like, not yeah. going to be this eloquent about this back then. But what I had <laughs> learned, you know, in hindsight was it brought me to my knees in a way where I was kind of like, all right, well, what do I have to lose? <laughs> I might yeah. as well try you know, to talk about the one thing that I know more about than anything in my whole life and talk about the one thing that brings tears to my eyes just thinking about it and talk about the one thing that moves me in a way that nothing else does. And what I mean by that is when I meet someone who's struggling with their body in ways that I can relate to, nothing moves me more than being able to be there for that person, right? It's like we all have had struggles and I, I feel connected to anyone, you know, who may, who's a human being, but there's a different layer and a different intensity when it's somebody who has gone through something similar to what I have gone through. But I just... It changes the way you live your entire oh, life. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But I didn't want to hear it. <laughs> I didn't want my life to be about my condition. I really didn't. And you were in that, you were in that, like that positivity. Yes, spiral. <laughs> I was in the pink bubble a little bit. Is what yeah. They call it sometimes. Yeah. I just wanted it to be free of that. And so it mm. took me a while. And then at the end of 2017, I was like, okay, this is, this is some BS. I don't know what is going on right now, but there's literally nothing that I have to lose anymore. So I'm just going to talk about this a little bit and see what happens. And everything changed when I started talking about it. Brand deals started happening, literally brands that are specifically related to like psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. And I was just like, really? You guys want me to talk about this? Like, this is crazy, you know? And like just countless things started coming together. And not only that, my life felt so much more enriched because I felt like whatever I was doing was coming from like the most pure, you know, divinely connected part of myself. And so yeah. that kind of led me to Chronicon, you know, and, mm. and it's been a couple of years of really diving into those conversations. And then last year I was actually at CurvyCon, um, mm. which my friends started. And it was the first time I had been there. And I had this experience of walking around CurvyCon being like, oh my God, these women, they are so beautiful and magnificent. And mm -hmm. in this environment, 
they are revered for every inch and curve that they have on their body. And it was breathtaking because that is really how the world should be, right? It shouldn't just be in this yeah. one room. And I was, I was so inspired by every woman in that room. And I was just like, it was like multiple rooms, like thousands of people. But I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I was so, so inspired. And I was just like, oh my God, what would it have been like for me with my body conversation of like being afraid to get a manicure or a pedicure because I have psoriasis all over my hands or afraid to go try and close the dressing room because I'm afraid I'll flake or, you know, like not knowing if certain clothes are going to fit me because I'm flaring up because I have a hormonal imbalance that's connected to a vitamin D deficiency that's like so intense. Like all these mm. things that seem so, you know, most people take them for granted because they don't have to think yeah. about it. And I just, I kept thinking about that. And while I was there, I was like, am I supposed to start chronic con? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah, it took me, it took me a good, I would say like eight months, maybe, maybe seven or eight months to really accept that this was what I was meant to do because I, yeah. it feels really big, honestly, when I think about it. Not just because I'm like, oh, it needs to be huge. I need to make a lot of money. It just, I know how many millions of people are suffering and Mm -hmm. it feels like a place that they could all potentially belong at some point, you know? And so that just feels like a lot of energy to hold. Um, Yeah, of course. It's a big responsibility. Yeah, it does. It does feel like a big responsibility, but... I also feel like I've been preparing my whole life for this and I'm doing everything I can, you know, to align myself with the right people and, you know, the, the right support and, um, and also take care of myself in new ways as I embark on this journey. So yeah, I mean this, it'll be happening October 28th and, uh, live in New York city and it'll be here in like three seconds. It feels like. It's fantastic. And you've really intelligently, you're doing it in one day because, you know, someone who has a limited number of spoons or a limited energy supply, you know, might not be able to do a whole weekend or three days, you know, but like one day and you've spaced things out where there are breaks and everything. It's very mindful Mm -hmm. of the needs of people in this community to recharge. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's, it looks like it's going to be fantastic. Um, and I'm super excited about it. So <laughs> yeah, no, I, hopefully a few more people will hear about it. Thank yeah. you so much. That's so sweet. But yeah, I really yeah. was very kind of conscientious about just doing it for one day. Cause everyone was like, Oh, how many days is it? I'm like, girl, it is one day. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know I can do it in one day. And I know that, I, and I really, what it was was like, I don't have, you know, capital. I don't have like all this money coming from some, you know, unknown place. Like it's just me. Okay. It's just me figuring it out. And now I've, I've, well, that's how I felt at the beginning. Now I have people helping me, but in the beginning I was like, I need to set this up so that if no one shows up and tries to help me, I will still be okay. That was literally the way I thought about it. That like, if I don't get help from this partner, if I only get one partner and I thought I was going to get 10, if whatever happens, I will be okay. I won't, put myself in more debt. I won't deplete my energy so intensely that I will never be able to do anything ever again. You know, all those Mm -hmm. things. And then I, yeah, I was, I'm so fortunate. Healthline 
Um, you know, I've been working with yeah. them for, for years and I just basically called them and was like, so I have this yeah. idea. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> think you should just do it with me. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, I'm sorry, what now? We don't do live events. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You were like, but you do I now. <laughs> and then, and you know, we kind of went back and forth and I think it took them a second to really understand what I was trying to do. And then the second it clicked, it clicked so beautifully. And mm. it was what I knew was really meant to happen, you know, but you just never know. You, you can feel those things, but you know, life happens and, and all of that. Yeah. And they have been, I, I don't think I've ever enjoyed working with a partner more. And they're the biggest partner that I've ever worked with, right? So normally when you think in business, it's like the bigger the partner, the bigger the stakes, the less it you enjoy it really because it's like so mm. scary and stressful and hard. Oh my God, it has been the exact opposite with them. This episode is sponsored by Ember Labs, creators of the Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to an invisible pod, they are offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com. That's E-M-B-R labs.com. Enter code INVISIBLE at checkout and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. Do you think it's because they, they have an understanding of what the chronic illness world looks like? I, that's a really good question. I think, one, the team that I work with over there, you know, actually, I'm not even going to just say it's the team. The team that I work with over there is exceptional. But I really also see that the foundation that they're working on and that they're working on top of is really solid. Like their bosses and the people that they have to report to, even if I'm not talking to them, I see that they're like taking care of their needs. They're making sure they're getting enough sleep. They're like shutting off their phone right when they leave the office so that they don't work all the time because you could, right? Yeah. And I really respect that. And I think that makes for much happier employees and a much happier experience. And then when I see them and I get to connect with them, they're coming at me with a full cup. You yeah. know, they're not coming at me depleted and angry and, oh my God, my boss just wants this and they don't get it. And no, they're, they're, I sense from the conversations I've had with the people that I work with over there that their bosses take the time to understand what's wrong, what's happening, how can we make this better? I'm like, really? <laughs> Well, I suppose it's also like the thing about that is you can't call yourself a company like Healthline and not have your employees' health in mind, right? So like it sounds like their yeah, their their morals are matching their their mission. I really feel that. I really feel that because yeah. I I've worked with many health and wellness companies over the years and that is not always the case that they're yeah. aligned in that way. And well, there's still businesses at the end of the yeah. day too, you know, and that certainly influences how the behaviors are within a certain company. Totally. Yeah. So how are you balancing the demands of work and life now? I mean, we know that like you're doing really well in terms of managing your symptoms. Um, but you've got so much on your plate, you freelance with a lot of different projects. 
Um, and a lot of it is so personal. So I imagine it, it takes even more emotional energy to commit to these projects. So how are you finding that balance working out for you? Is it your passion that's getting you through? Are you having to tell yourself to pull back in certain areas to protect your energy as well? Yeah. Um, all of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All of it. And it's so funny because, you know, I actually really enjoy having conversations with people like you because I, I feel like it reconnects me to the why behind what I'm doing. And that is everything. Um, and so that's a huge part of it, to be honest with you, like getting in conversation with new people and or people that are in my life that are going through similar things or whatever it might be that will connect me to that why. I feel like that has been the greatest medicine during this time. Um, and I have to say, like, I'm not flawlessly balancing everything. Like, that has not mm. been the case. I think this month, the last, like, two weeks, because, well, we're in August now when we're recording this, but obviously it's going yeah. to air later. But in August, I found that because it's a slower month, which I don't actually like very much. I'm an Aries. Like, I want everything happening yesterday. Um, <laughs> I'm a Leo. Okay. <laughs> right? The fire within us. Holy fire. Yep. Yeah. There's totally so much you. fire. So I don't love the slowness, but what I've tried to do this time around is say, well, I can now stock up on my groceries and I can actually take like this morning, it's a Friday when we're recording this and I like, I have like a hundred emails that I could be just, you know, banging out. And I was like, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to curl my hair so that I feel good for the weekend. And it looks great. It looks super cute. Uh, Yeah, so I don't have to think about it for the next like three days until I have to wash it again. And I'm going to go get a manicure, which feels like such a big deal. Also looks great. (laughs) You know, but like these things right now, I could so easily just stay in my apartment with my computer and not lift my head up. You know, and I I think I did that for a little bit. And so now I'm trying as I have a little bit of space, although I don't love the space, I'm like, (laughs) okay, how can I make this work to my advantage? And I'm like, all right, well, Mm. I went out and had some fun on Wednesday night, which was like, I mean, it was literally just seeing some friends for like ice cream and dinner. And it was like, so. But that's fantastic. It was revolutionary. Okay. I was like, oh my God, I have not had this much fun in a while because I have just been working nonstop. I I believe in therapy very deeply. And I talk to my therapist every week. I'm going to talk to her after our call, actually. And (laughs) she's like, so Nitika, can you talk to me about anything other than work right now? Like what's going on? And I'm like, nope, nope, this is pretty much it. This is all. (laughs) That's all I've got bandwidth for. (laughs) Yeah, it's all I've got bandwidth for right now, really. And so... I'm just embracing that as much as I can and trying to nurture myself, you know, as much as I can Um, and trying. And reprioritizing self-care, it sounds like, too. Yes. Like, I have noticed I I just kind of need a hug often, like, and, like, literally the physical, you know, hug and nurturing has been really important to me during this time and I'm single. So I'm like, okay, I have to pay someone 
to give me this nurturing hug. <laughs> so I was talking to my girlfriend yesterday. We were just like, yeah, I literally could pay someone just to hug me. And I'm like, isn't that what massage is like? Like, yes, that's, that's why I get massages. Right? <laughs> and I was just like, okay. And I've never yeah. been, I'm more of like a facial person or get my hair done or whatever. I've never been a big massage person, especially with all my skin stuff. It's like kind of the last mm. thing I would think about, you know, yeah. but I've been getting massages and I'm like, just hold me for <laughs> like an hour <laughs> and it's been great, you know? So yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of embarrassing, but it's totally true. No, not at all. Well, actually, I remember seeing something recently. I don't know whether it was like a, an Instagram post or something about, and it was about human touch and how like we actually require a certain amount of touch to balance certain hormones in our bodies. And um, the, that we actually need a hug that lasts like 20 to 30 seconds, which in reality is kind of a little bit of a too long for comfort hug, right? But the idea being that like we need to seek out those kinds of physical experiences where we can be close to people because they make us feel better. They help us heal ourselves. Yeah, yeah I, I really agree with that. And I think, you know, it's important for us to find ways to have that no matter what circumstance we're in. So that's been mm -hmm. part of, you know, what I've been doing. And I think the food thing has been really important. Like I really just... I am on this autoimmune paleo diet according to what my same same yeah, like my doctor, you know, tested me for all the things and that works the best for me. And yeah. at the same time, <laughs> when I was launching Chronicon, I was having gluten-free pizza and you know, not cheeseburgers, but hamburgers with uh, gluten-free buns and like and you know, all those grains. Like it's not the worst thing in the world, but the grains don't really do well for me. They don't help. Yeah, yeah, they really don't help. And I was like, who the flip cares? Like I need this thing in my body right now so badly. Yeah. And, you know, so just being like gentle with myself and saying, Okay, that was for a time period I kind of needed to not be so rigid and not care so much. And now I'm actually enjoying getting back into a little bit more grain-free, a little bit less sugar, you know, all those things. Mm -hmm. And it's feeling really good, actually, you know, versus feeling like, oh my God, you have to eat the certain way and you can only eat the certain way. And otherwise, you know, you're a mess up or something. So. Right. Well, it sounds like you've really been able to release those self-criticisms because of your experience with being so positive and living in the pink bubble, you know, like you've been able to sort of go, okay, so I don't need to like tell myself to be too happy. And I also don't need to tell myself to be too sad. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, you've found that balance in general and then finding it within all of your, your work projects. It sounds like that's all sort of fallen into place in a beautiful way. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So we're going to sort of jump back into the past, but I guess also the, the present with my next question, which is about, um, being confronted and, and being forced to justify your illness. Um, I'm wondering if you've ever had experiences with that, particularly with something like psoriasis, where maybe people didn't understand the pain you were in or the accommodations that you needed. And, and I'm also curious to know whether being a woman of color has influenced those experiences as well and whether you've found that you've had to come up against more adversity or roadblocks because of that. Yeah, I mean, I think the first part of the question around just mm -hmm. like, you know, anything like people, basically what you're asking is like, did people ever not understand what I was going through? And yeah, big time, <laughs> big, big, big time. And to be honest, I didn't even understand 
that was a lot of it, you know, because I've got this so young and so, and, and I, you know, I'm Indian and I, I have, you know, my parents are immigrants and I was never really great at school. That was never something that I was very good at. I'm a very experiential, sensorial, you know, person. And that's not the way you learn, you know, in America mostly. And, nope. um, you know, and so it was very like one dimensional linear and I don't learn that way. Even to this day, I'll be like, okay, I know you just sent me all of the information and email. I need you to call me. I don't understand what you're saying. Like my brain is not mm. absorbing this information, but I yeah. know I'm smart now. So it's like, I can own that and it's like not a big deal. Right. And it's actually empowering to be mm. like, oh yeah, I don't learn that way. Girl, you got to give me a call. Otherwise this is not going to, you yeah. know, and it's fine. And then people are like, oh great. Okay, great. That's good to know. But mm. when I was growing up, I didn't know that and my parents didn't know that and and the reason why I bring this up as it relates to you know did people not understand me is because a lot of what I was experiencing was so much emotional um you know heaviness so much sadness so much depression and anxiety and self-hatred which is why I talk so much about self-love and no one really understood the depths of that because I'm also very strong, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so they're, so you're able to sort of push through Yeah, when you have to. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm able to push through and it's just, um, yeah, it was just, it was, it's, it was like this pile of like, I'm devastated. I'm hurt. I'm upset. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I hate myself. And then I have to go to school and try to, you know, push through and be liked and, you know, have friends and, you know, my parents want me to do well in school and that's not happening. And then another thing that used to happen a lot was because I had so much inflammation in my body, I always felt like I had a fever and I felt mm. like that a lot. And I, now it's like, it rarely happens. So when it does, I like really can tell, but I used to feel like that you know, two or three times a week, if not like five days a week, like I was feeling like that. And so I would go to the nurse's office a lot because I felt so sick, but people would just be like, it's just a skin disease. Like what's wrong with you? Like get over it, you know? And who oh boy, I hate those three words. Get over it. My least favorite. <laughs> I know. And and, you know, and now that's something even when I'm looking for doctors and stuff that I really look for is like, do I have people in my life that know, that believe me when I say something's wrong? You know, even if they don't maybe agree with like my conclusion of what I think, or maybe, you know, they're still not sure what it could be or whatever. But my acupuncturist is a great example of this because I was having some hormonal balancing issues and I, I really didn't get what was going on for almost a year. I think a year. That yeah, was actually mm -hmm. almost exactly a year. And um, I was really struggling with it. And it ended up being a deficiency in vitamin D, which if you have autoimmune disease, apparently that's a big deal. I did not know that. It's a big deal. Okay. A lot of people have vitamin D deficiencies, whether or not they have autoimmune diseases. But those of us who have the autoimmune issues, it's even more difficult to like balance our hormones because of it. Yeah. yeah. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. I did not know that. It's like, it's all a learning curve. <laughs> I know. I know. So I didn't yeah. know that. And I was banging my head up against the wall 
my weight like skyrocketed. I like was feeling dizzy all the time. I felt like I was going to faint, you know, all these things. And yeah, and, and there have been many, and that was just this past year. I just started getting balanced in, in May of 2019. So it was like, Sounds like that was actually an example of you not understanding yourself, especially because you didn't have the background medically to understand that, but like you weren't listening to your, what your body was telling you and you sort of let it go on for you. No, it wasn't that I wasn't listening. I genuinely didn't know that that's what was happening. I was getting tested. I was doing all of these things, but nothing on my tests was like Mm. so clearly like, oh, it's vitamin D. I was doing everything I could. What I thought it was actually, what my doctors thought was it was like a hypoglycemia thing happening because it feels like low blood sugar and like I, and I have low blood pressure and I would feel like I was going to faint a lot and like all these things. So it wasn't that I wasn't listening. I couldn't figure it out. I tried for like a year. And so, but in that it was a lot of me canceling on things, a lot of me having to say, I don't have the energy to do this. I, I have to go home. I feel like I'm going to faint. I, I got to go to the doctor. I can't do this. I can't do that. And it was really hard because I hadn't really been in that position in quite a few years. Um, and it just took me back to my childhood when I had to do that, you know, all the time. So yeah. So that was a huge part of things. And then you asked also about being a woman of color and, and the adversity in that. Um, you know, I think being a woman of color, I think um, we have to fight, you know, in a way that I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand. Um, but I don't know that I was aware of that specific fight when I was growing up. I think looking back now, I see, you know, how much that layer was there in my life. But my parents, you know, they were immigrants and, and, Immigrant, you know, parents can be, you know, they're complicated in a lot of ways, but for my parents, they never talked about racism or anything like that in that way because they never experienced it, you know, growing up and all those different things. So it wasn't prevalent in in our conversations at home. Um, Like it might be with like a, you know, African-American family who's like, this is ingrained in this country. You need to know like all those things. But as I've grown up, I definitely, um, you know, I definitely see that like the way how smart people think I am or how capable people think I am and all those things, they, they feel like they're connected to that often. Um, yeah. And do you think it's influenced some of your medical experience too? Like in terms of doctors, maybe not believing you because you're female or not believing you because you're a woman of color. Like, has that ever happened to you as well? Where doctors have sort of looked at you like, mm, you're wrong. Yeah. I think mostly because I'm a woman. Like, I feel Mm. that mostly because of being a woman. I feel I've experienced it many times when a doctor has not gotten me and has just not taken me seriously at all. Um, And that, you know, has led me to be like, I need a new doctor. You know what I mean? But that took me years to understand that. Same. Yeah. (laughs) It's really hard to, like, when you're brought up, believing that doctors are God, which is, I think how so many of us have been brought up to come across doctors who suddenly aren't serving you. It's very confusing, isn't it? It really throws you off center because you, you sort of don't know what you're supposed to do, Yeah, but you eventually, I mean, those of us who've found our way through it have found our way through it because we've gone, actually, 
I'm the one that this is about and it's not about them. It's patient centered. So you sort of redirect the care, but it's very interesting the way that that happens to so many women. And so many of us, it takes us years longer to get diagnoses that men get, you know, tomorrow. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge issue. It's a huge issue. And I think as a kid, we're just taught that doctors, you know, are, you know, positive authority figures and, you know, all of that. And I, I definitely had some really shitty experiences as a kid with doctors and, you know, then growing up, I think I started to realize like, oh, this is what it feels like when something doesn't feel right. You know, and it's even just that simple. Like when you're with a friend or you're dating or whatever it might be, and you're just like, oh, this is a red flag. This is something that doesn't feel right. I don't need to understand why it doesn't feel right, but I can feel this is not feeling right to me. And just that simplicity, you know, of understanding of yourself and what happens inside of you when things don't feel right. Um, and what happens when things feel really good, you know, can help you be guided, I think, through that process a little bit more easily. And part of that is also being able to get out there and live your life. So, you know, the difference in those experiences, isn't it? Yeah. So, how important do you think it is that we talk about chronic illness? I mean, obviously you've started a whole convention around it. Um, so it's very important, but do you think like continuing to talk about these things and normalize conversations about ableism and, and, and variations in our health, do you think that they're the key to sort of finding a way to the, the cures for these things and, you know, bringing more awareness? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think cures is like a whole other thing, but what I will say is that why I wanted to start talking about this is because there's so much shame and isolation in these experiences and why I thought it was important that we talk about it and meet and do all of that is because I was literally sitting there one day and I was like, this is the most isolating experience I've ever had. Like even, you know, getting divorced was like less isolating than this. Like this is just so isolating. And then at the same time, there are in 20, by 2020, the National Health Council says there'll be 157 million people that will have a chronic illness. And I was like doing the math in my head and I was just like, wait a second. I feel completely alone and I feel Mm -hmm so much shame that I am the only one, and I say that in quotes, I am the only one that has it this bad, that has this particular condition, that looks this way, that whatever. And there are 157 million people that will have this by next year, like will have a chronic illness by next year. There's 133 plus million people that have a chronic illness now. You know, so I was like, wait a second, why are we not talking to each other? Who is connecting the dots? What is happening? Why are there millions of people. And then even just meeting people, you know, whether I'm Mm. speaking at an event or I'm meeting girlfriends or doing anything like, and I meet someone and they're like, oh yeah, I have PCOS. Oh my gosh. Yes. My mom has endometriosis or I didn't know this thing happened. That thing happened. Oh yeah. I've had that since I was, I have Graves disease. I have this. I'm like, oh Mm. my God. I didn't even know what half these diseases were before I started talking about this stuff. You know, and I'm still yeah. learning. I mean, I do not claim. Sometimes people ask me what conditions. I'm like, 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I've had that too. I've had people come to me and I've been like, I, I don't, I'm yep. nope, not enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, that's why I wanted to talk about it because I was just like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be blessed enough to see things be cured in my lifetime. If I don't, I don't even know about the curing part of mm -hmm. things. Like, yeah, that's, a that's a whole thing. other thing. I'm just a patient, you know, yeah. but I do not want other patients to live in shame and isolation. That's yeah. really it. That's really wonderful. And one of the things you mentioned earlier as well, you know, we're talking about how you've taken certain medications to manage your symptoms and you're doing AIP, um, which is the audio autoimmune paleo protocol. Um, are there any other things that you're doing, like, is it, is a typical day, do you work around your symptoms and work around managing things? Are you sort of aware of it or is it not, is it sort of in the back of your mind now? It's definitely more in the back of my mind. Cause as I said, I've had this stuff happening in my life for 30 years now almost, but, um, I do manage my symptoms in a way that's just kind of inherent right? So it's not like, oh, I'm sick, so I have to go do this thing. It's just like, oh, my body needs X. So I'm just going to make sure I do that, you know, and just not maybe put as much emphasis on why I have to do it, but just kind of take care of myself. So yeah. for example, like I really try not to have meetings before 10 a.m. Um, like outside, you know, like on the phone is a different thing because I, you know, can be in my pajamas, <laughs> sitting in my coffee and still chill. I am 100% wearing pajama yeah, bottoms right great. now. <laughs> you look great. I would have never known. Um, and I'm 100% not wearing any makeup because I was just like, I can't. Um, so, well, you look um, gorgeous. And like, look how amazing your skin is now too. It's thank like, you. thank you. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I was, so that's like one of my rules. And it's really because I have such a sensitive nervous system. I need time in the morning to wake up in a way that is gentle uh, I wake up usually at 7 a.m., but I need like two hours to kind of feel a little like stable, you know, mm -hmm. and I need time to make my special breakfasts and make, you know, get the coffee that I want and do my things the way that I need to so that I feel stable in the morning. Um, and it's also kind of become in my older age, it's also become true for you know, going out really late at night and stuff like that. Like I wish, I mean, I live in Manhattan. So like, I wish I was still that girl that was like, Oh yeah, 10 PM birthday party. Let's go. I'll be home at two o'clock in the morning. No problem. Yeah, no, 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 no. Absolutely. I can't not. do it either. Absolutely. Yeah. But the good thing is that like you end up having a crew of, of women who you're friends with, who are also like, no, I'm in my thirties yeah. now. I don't. Exactly. Do exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, it's things like that. Um, and then, yeah. And so, so I do take care of myself and, and manage my symptoms in, in those ways. But I think it's, it's also just, you know, even if you don't have a chronic illness, like there are things like that that you could be mindful of. Because um, I'm also thinking like the people that I spend time with too, I find I've been really careful about like who are the people that drain me or that make me feel bad about myself or that trigger that like anxiety or codependency. Yeah. And who are the people that make me feel completely comfortable in my skin and, you know, literally and figuratively and just make me feel like they fully see me um, and that I can be all parts of myself with them, you know? Mm. So that has been a very healing process for me as well. 
Yeah, no, that's a, that's so true. I couldn't agree more with that. So I, I like to wrap up my interviews with a couple of top three sure. lists. And I wanted to start with the first one. What would your top three tips be for someone who maybe just entered this chronic illness world, just got diagnosed, or is maybe feeling a little off and thinking it might be something that they're waiting for a diagnosis? What would you, what advice would you give these people? Um, who, who are part of our world? Yeah. I mean, I think I would say that know thyself, like Mm -hmm. if nothing else, when you said, if someone just got diagnosed, like the first image that I had was a girl, you know, getting diagnosed with maybe a skin condition or, you know, something, an autoimmune disease of some sort, and they're having symptoms And they're just grasping, trying to get an answer. And it's from a very desperate, understandably desperate place, right? And I think we've all probably been there at some point if we have a condition. And I know Mm -hmm. I have. And so I think the turning point for me was when I stopped grasping for advice because I usually got off on the wrong track often. I usually did things that I wasn't really wanting to do, didn't really feel good about doing, um, you know, mm. things like that. So know thyself. Go to potentially, if you can afford to, an integrative doctor um, or a doctor that will take giving you a series of tests seriously. So if you have to go to a doctor that's covered by your insurance and integrative isn't, you know, that will test your gut, that will test your hormones, that will test all of the different allergies that you might have that will test things beyond the normal, you know, two, three tests that most doctors say, okay, fine, I'll give you this test. Um, And know what is going on in your body. There have been times, like when I was going through that whole vitamin D deficiency thing, I thought maybe I had candida because I had had that before. I just started eating the candida diet and like I was totally just depriving myself of all these foods because I didn't know what the hell to eat. It took a while, you know, to figure it out, but it would not have been helpful if I had just sat there and taken all this advice from all these different people. Oh, you know, when I had that happen, this is what I did. And maybe you should try this and drink this thing and eat this thing. And a lot of times when people tell you to do that stuff, your body doesn't want those things. So Mm -hmm. finding out what, and that's like, you know, three tips in one. It's like finding out, (laughs) you know, what it is, get those specific, um, you know, test results then start mm-hmm. to implement what your body needs and stop grasping for that mm-hmm. advice from people. It's different when you mindfully and intentionally say, okay, you know what? This one friend that I have really gets it. I'm going to mm-hmm. have her be a sounding board. I'm going to make sure that, you know, we talk about things and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, mm-hmm. versus just calling, you know, 50 friends and being like, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Right. Yeah. No, that's really great advice. Um, and then the other top three list is obviously, you know, you were saying you, you've made particular lifestyle changes and adjustments just to manage your symptoms on a daily basis, things like AIP, um, and, you know, prioritizing rest and, and the things that you need for comfort. Um, do you have any top three cheats, guilty pleasures, secret indulgences, um, uh, you know, comfort activities, just three things that like you're not willing to compromise Mm. on when it comes to your joy. Okay. So I would say
say there are some times at the end of a really long day or the end of a really long work week when I am like, if someone does not give me a gluten-free pizza right now, I might like <laughs> have a, a meltdown. So I just have a soft, it does, which is not on the AIP protocol. I know, but it does not have tomatoes. I always get, I never eat tomatoes. So I eat it with pesto sauce or like a white pizza, but the dairy, the dairy isn't great for me, but it doesn't like affect me as much as some of the other things. So it's kind of my one cheat, you know, and then I try not to eat dairy in other situations, but that's when I go to like the mother load and I'm just like, (laughs) give me all the dairy, give me all the things. I need it really badly. Oh. So gluten-free pizza with a side of ice yeah. cream is what well, this, see, I never eat dairy ice cream. I'll never eat that. But for some reason, with gluten-free pizza, I'm like, you know what? I don't care yeah. right now. I don't care. Yeah. But I'll have the – I never. I don't even remember the last time I had a regular ice cream. Like, I'll have vegan ice cream, dairy-free ice cream. I don't mind it at all. I'm like, this is great substitute. Pizza. Yeah. It's the cheeses that I have, I have trouble with too because I don't like any of the cheese substitutes. Yeah. I'm sorry, my friends out there, but like – they're just not the same, are they? Not the same. But I do have like a vegan cheese that I'll use sometimes for like, if I want to make like a, you know, sat like a sandwich of some, a grain-free sandwich of some sort. And, so, and that's fine. Gluten-free yeah. pizza with no tomato. Um, mm-hmm. And then I would say I'm a big like guilty pleasures in terms of activities. I'm just really into like mindless, fluffy rom-com TV. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I really am. I mean, I used to think it was because like I wanted to be on TV for so long and that was like why I watched so much TV as a kid, but I just I just feel like it's nurturing when I am just laying on my couch and I really also try to be mindful about not picking up my phone, not picking up my computer. I fail especially at the phone one quite often, but I try and just watch TV for pure entertainment and just kind of zone out, watch yeah. something really silly, watch something really light. There's no news on, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And then I would say the other thing that I, oh, well, the thing I do every single day is I get an oat milk latte from my favorite coffee place, Joe's Coffee here in New York city. Mm. And it's like two blocks away from my apartment. They all know my name. I like go there every day. And when I have to leave town and not have Mm. it, I get sad. Like that's how much I like it. So yeah. I get it. And even when I'm really not feeling well, it's like, that was kind of how it started was like, I would go walk to Joe's coffee because it was two blocks. So like I could handle that mostly, even if all I did was come walk right back home. Um, and it just made me feel better. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. It allows you to commune with people too. Yes. Even if it's oh, brief, totally. some fresh air and a little exercise and yeah, that's great. And can you tell the listeners where they can find your work and where they can find Chronicon information as Absolutely, well? Absolutely. Yes. So you can check me out on my Instagram at Nitika Chopra and you can also check out at Chronicon Official, which is also linked in my Instagram profile. Um, And yeah, and check us out there on Instagram. Nitika, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking with you today. I'm so glad that we have advocates in the chronic and invisible illness space like you. Um, So thank you so much for the work you're doing for all of us in this community. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for having me. Mm 
that's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.